0: Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. And today I'm joined with Matt Parker, who is the co founder and CEO of the Exodus Road. So stay tuned. welcome back everyone to the guys like us podcast this is your host tyler bronick and thank you for tuning in to another episode this is the start of 2021. oh my goodness we have made it through 2020 um, and are stepping into a, a new season a new chapter um, and i hope that everyone has uh, is finding some excitement and new life um, in, in these first few weeks here of 2021. Today's conversation is with Matt Parker, who is the co-founder and CEO of The Exodus Road, um, an organization that fights human trafficking, Um, in particular, um, human sex trafficking globally. Matt's and the organization is based out of Thailand and they've expanded to several countries um, and they are Really addressing a global need, um, he talks about some some statistics of how uh, sex trafficking is um, it, is really at a, a high rate right now, and um, it, it's it's quite shocking. And so I'll uh, I'll let you hear hear the numbers and the backstory behind it. But I'm excited for this conversation. Um, there is uh, obviously darkness, but there's also a lot of light, um, and I'm excited for um, the work that Matt. And the organization, and, and so many others, have been doing um, in the midst of, uh, of of this challenge and this and this and these cha- and these problems that are continuing um, to face uh, so many young young folks, young women, um, in uh, in just ex- exploitative and oppressive places. And so, without further ado, um, here is my conversation with Matt Parker. Matt, thanks so much for joining me and, and the guys like us podcast here.
1: Absolutely, thank you,
0: Tyler. Sure thing. Um, so um, I, I think some folks may be familiar with the Exodus Road and, and, and the ministry and the work that you're doing. Um, some folks may not be, but can you talk a little bit, kind of about, um, I guess, before kind of the what 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 is what what we're seeing today, and kind of the the initial just your your interests. Obviously, as a co-founder, you have a I know it's a huge interest of yours from the get go. Um, and kind of how you got plugged into the work that you're now doing, you know, full time and and dedicating your life to.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the introduction. So, um, just 30,000 foot view, Yeah. uh, the excess Road fights human trafficking. Yeah. And it's really cool these days because there's a lot of people who are starting to kind of come out and say, Hey, we care about this issue. I want to learn about the issue. I want to do something about it. Right. Um, the Exodus Road, though, we started almost 10 years ago now, and it started uh, kind of by accident. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe all great things kind of start that way. I don't know. But we, my wife and I were missionaries, and so for those of you listening who are in the mission field or, or considering being in the mission field, that's, that's where we got started. Mm-hmm. And we did not go overseas. We were missionaries uh, to the country of Thailand, the kingdom of Thailand. Hmm. On the northern region, Chiang Mai is where we started. And our passion was really children. But if you t- took that up one level, it's just poverty. We, we just wanted – my wife and I, we just wanted to make a difference in the lives of, of those who are suffering, those who are needy. Mm-hmm. And um, when we were younger, my wife and I uh, were teachers on the island of Saipan, this really small island in the South Pacific, right out of college – great experience for us, but we fell in love with the Pacific. Mm-hmm. And so when this opportunity came for us to go overseas and, um, serve at this Christian children's home, mm-hmm. uh, entirely called a bandit. Plat, we, we just jumped on that opportunity and we're mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is us. And I was currently serving as a youth pastor, uh, at a church in Woodland park, Colorado. So for mm-hmm. those of you listening who are in youth ministry, I get you too. uh, It's a hard job, youth youth ministry. So Mm -hmm. we kind of went from a mission, from youth ministry into the mission field, Mm -hmm. trying to serve the poor. Mm -hmm. We had no clue what human trafficking really was. Um, But in in the the work of loving the 48 girls that were in our children's home, we started to become aware of what human trafficking was, how it happens, Mm -hmm. why it Mm -hmm. happens, where and when it happens and uh man our hearts just broke what we heard and honestly guys the first time i heard about it i was like skeptical i'm like that doesn't really happen come on uh, yeah. because it wasn't just kidnapping it was this idea of a john or a broker luring a young beautiful women or, or strong young men uh out of their protection mechanism their nuclear family and into a a forced labor environment, whether that be forced sexual slavery or labor trafficking. Hmm. And when I first heard about it, I'm like, man, you know, surely that, that doesn't happen. And then we started to hear the, the scale at which this was happening. Uh, Today, there's 40.8 million modern day Hmm. slaves Hmm. that are trapped in this type of exploitive environment where someone has promised them work when they arrive at where the job's supposed to be they learn very quickly the job's not real and they're beaten or raped or forced to do things for for little or no pay and they have no means to escape so man we as missionaries we heard about this and we're just like hey we got to do something about that we we cannot stand by and watch in our community children being bought and sold trafficked traded forced into these awful environments, mm-hmm. because we believe in Jesus. And and we believe that that is not what the kingdom of God looks like. We're called to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth and be a part of what he's doing. So we got to be a part of freeing mm-hmm. these kids. We got to be a part of standing up for them and advocating for them. And we have to be a part of arresting their perpetrators, these 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 pedophiles and these These guys have lost their way in the world. They're broken men. They need Jesus like everybody else, but they have somehow agreed that it's okay to do this type of harm, and uh, we kind of looked around in the missionary environment, and there just was so few people Mm -hmm. um, doing a whole lot about it, and so I started to work with law enforcement uh, really just as a consultant. I was connected to the Thai Royal Police through some friends, Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. and uh, I had no clue. What I was doing, all I knew was I could not do nothing. Hmm. And so I just said, look, guys, I, I, my, my time was really bad at the time, <laughs> but I just showed up. Honestly, yeah. I just showed up and it's like, look, I'm here. I'm at your service. Right. And that turned into what today uh, is clandestine service, the undercover environment, identifying children that hmm. are being sold, bought and sold, working with law enforcement, national police, Interpol, yeah. Uh, FBI to recover these children and arrest their perpetrators. Uh, we started out in Thailand. Yeah. Today we're in four countries. We've rescued over six, about 1,600 kids and have arrested around 600 traffickers and pedophiles. Yeah. We command an yeah. army of 80 staff and seven global offices. And I'm just blown away that God, number one, could do this with someone like me. If God can do this with somebody like me, he can do anything. And we know that about God. You give your five loaves, to fish, and he does crazy things with it. Um, and that's mm. really my story is yeah. I'm a youth pastor missionary who happened to turn into an undercover operative freeing children from sex slavery. That's, yeah. that's really my journey.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's powerful. And I I was getting shivers a little bit earlier because it is such a uh, that 30,000-foot view of how frequent and how much um, this is impacting um, the world. And, and I know in the United States as well, um, in our own backyards, and it's happening everywhere. everywhere. And I think I, I personally came to just a, a brief understanding of the magnitude of this. Uh, can you say that number again of how many? Um,
1: yeah, there's 40.8 million. That's an estimate. Right. Uh, International Labor Organization wow. is estimating that right now. It's It's a difficult thing to measure, but you know, when you yeah. think about yeah. the global poor, we have, I think it's 1.5 billion people in the world live on less than a dollar fifty a day. Right. These are the world's poor. They're desperately looking for jobs. Right. And that is the marketplace for traffickers, people who, it can be people of means as well, especially here in the States. Uh, but globally,
0: right.
1: uh, India alone has about, you know, 28 million of that 40 million are in India, Bangladesh, and Nepal. Yeah, yeah. So, it's the world's poor that for the greatest.
0: Yeah. So I've watched a few of the videos from the, from the website and have kind of seen kind of a little bit of the inside um, of how it actually happens. Um, and really you, you do feel like you're part of that story and, um, or at least kind of part of the, part of the scene of what's going on and you really do get attached to it. Can you, so can you just talk a little bit more about the process of kind of what, of what you all do and kind of how you are, um, really bring restoration and redemption in these areas of, um, uh, of, of of, definitely of oppression and just exploitation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the thing, you know, I did about a year's worth of research of law enforcement into, yeah. you know, geez, why are there so many people trafficked in the world? And if we have law enforcement, why are they not going and rescuing them and, and you know, solving this? And there's mm-hmm. lots of reasons why. Uh, So that discovery process identified a few things. Number one, in lots of parts of the world, law enforcement are underpaid, understaffed, undertrained, and highly corrupt. So you add those four things together, and I say I call that the soil of that culture is rich for exploitation when you have those four things together from a law enforcement perspective. Hmm. So, uh, again, if you were to boil down human trafficking to its essence, it's typically labor migration. There are right. impoverished people looking for work. There are criminals who are recruiting those people based on lies. Hey, there's a great job across this border, a couple towns away, up country. Uh, they put them in these vehicles, they drive them or they put them on a plane or a bus, they fly them based on false pretense. Right. And when they arrive, they typically instantly enter into something called debt bondage, which means now they owe money. You know, you owe for the airfare, the bus ticket, you owe for the hotel. And then when you find out that the job isn't what was promised, even if you retaliate or resist, you may not speak the language. Uh, they may beat you. I mean, then it turns into this kind of kidnapping scenario right. where they have your passport or it's called restricted movement. We're not going to allow you to leave. Hmm. And if you try to run away, all the cops in this community are paid off. They're just going to bring you back. Yeah, yep. So for us at the Exodus Road – we started to learn about this and we're like, geez, you know, um, who's looking for these kids? Yeah. There's a lot of people talking about human trafficking, but who, who is out in the community who is walking down the dark alley where people are bought and sold. And that typically looks like commercial sex industry or prostitution. Um, and the Exodus road, we do not fight prostitution. We do not fight the commercial sex industry. There's lots of groups who do that. We have decided, look, um, we are here to fight human trafficking. Lots of countries we operate prostitution is legal. However, it serves as a marketplace where children are bought and sold and it, it's kind of like disguised you know um, So we started to engage in the commercial red light districts and rural red light districts, border crossings that types those types of areas and we began to be approached with children uh, by traffic or say, hey, do you want to sleep with this child? It's uh, $45 mm-hmm. or uh, $65 for a few hours. Right. Um, and I would bring those cases to law enforcement just in this discovery to say, look, what do we do? Yeah. And law enforcement said, look, Matt, this is amazing intelligence. And uh, we, would you mind wearing covert body-worn recording devices so we can see – you know, what you see instead of just your testimony. We'd love to engage mm-hmm. with you. And mm-hmm. So they deputized me and we began to um, go undercover in these environments and children are being offered to yep. me because I'm a, falang, you know, I'm a American. Uh, yep. They never assumed that I worked with the Thai Royal police. They assumed I was a tourist and or a pedophile. Yep. And so we began to rescue kids in that manner. And we started to, to really understand, look, some of these children are sold knowingly by their parents or uncles or aunts. Some of them are sold unknowingly. Wow. Uh, you know, parents are impoverished oftentimes up in villages. You know, they they want a good life for their kids. And if they're farmers, hmm. you know, oftentimes that's not a great life. It's, hard, it's a hard life. Yeah. And so if somebody drives up in a truck and says, hey, I'm looking for girls to come work at a hotel or a restaurant down in a major city. These parents, like all good parents do, they get excited about the the potential future for their kids. They unknowingly put their children in these vehicles, send them down to a major city with the hope that they've done Uh a good thing for them. But what they've really done is they have sent them with a stranger to now Uh be raped for profit for Uh years and years and years, uh, to never really hear from them again oftentimes. So – for, the, for us at the Exodus Road, we, start, we knew a lot of those components because of our research. We have this ability to go into these environments. Mm-hmm. Having been deputized by the police, we always work with law enforcement and identify where children are being sold, who's selling them, their license plates, addresses, phone numbers. We collect all this data. We call it a target package. We give it back to law enforcement. And this is why that works and why it's so important. In these countries we operate, uh, law enforcement oftentimes uh, can't breach a facility without a warrant. It's the same right. here in the United States. Right. So the traffickers and even these commercial red light districts, they have in their criminal syndicate, they have spotters, people standing out on the street looking for cops. They have hmm. – uh, you know, they won't just let a cop in without a warrant. So a lot of these places that are selling children are tailored to foreigners. They won't let a national in. They won't let a Thai person come in. But if you're, if you're an American or from the UK or from mm-hmm. Australia, they'll let you in. Um, and so it started to really work for us, and that's what we do. We go undercover. We sit in a bar or a brothel or a beer garden wherever girls and boys are being sold and we're undercover and we're filming that environment. We, uh, collect evidence Mm -hmm. of a trafficker offering children to us. Um, we come up with an excuse to back out of the transaction, come back later. I'll come back tomorrow. My friends are in town, those types of things. We go mobilize law enforcement and a SWAT team. And then we, we come back and, uh, we, we rescue the child or multiple children, but then we, well, almost more importantly, we arrest those who've enslaved them. Hmm. And every time we do that, it sends this shockwave of fear in the underworld. All these traffickers have agreements with corrupt cops, but we are able to cut through those agreements and force law enforcement through the district attorney's office or the Department of Special Investigations to conduct these rescues. And if those law, if those corrupt cops don't comply, then they're going to be arrested, too. And they know we know their names. And we have their information as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in this way, right. uh, we're bringing light into darkness,
0: yeah.
1: uh, and we're voices for these kids who don't have a voice. They're they're literally locked in back rooms. Um, so that's what we do at the Exodus Road. And we started out with just me going undercover, and, and by God's grace, now we've we've grown, and we have um, eighty staff globally. But of those staff, we have hmm. about fifty paper operatives constantly looking right. for kids and
0: right. freeing them All right man so yeah it sounds like there's a lot of deception and a lot of kind of unknowingness of what's going on both for you know the, the the families but then also for kind of for national or sorry internationals coming in not really knowing what situations they're getting in but then eventually mm-hmm. co- obviously committing into it um how do you know you mentioned kind of some of the corruption with navigating, knowing what, what type of police officials to, to work with. I'm sure there's a lot of kind of, um, kind of back, back work that is done. How, how, how does it actually play out in understanding, Hey, that, you know, I think this person will follow through.
1: Yeah, it takes a lot of time. And, um, yeah. we do quite a bit of training, uh, as far as how to operate internationally and cut through corruption. Yeah, And a lot of it is relationships. You know, you start working with law enforcement, uh, you know, we, 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 we do about 80 cases a year right now. So Mm -hmm. we we present a case to a law enforcement officer and we, we observe, Mm -hmm. is this guy going to do the case? Is he, is he going to call the the brothel owner on the way to the rescue operation and tip him off? Um, and so we take notes and we figure out over time who who we can trust and who we can't trust. And we have a a black list and a white list of law enforcement officers around the world who are good, who care about their people, who care about these kids. And those are the ones we champion and we avoid the others. Um, And it works, I think, in part because we're Americans and we have uh, shell companies or official nonprofit foundations around the world Mm -hmm. we work with, we've stood up Mm -hmm. so that they we are are always concerned about retribution, right? If there's a corrupt cop, going to bring harm upon me in particular. All of my operatives are anonymous, so we we train extensively, but no one knows who they are. Our law enforcement don't know who they are. Okay. So yeah, uh, you know that keeps them safe and us safe. And, and man, it's it's really been working. Yeah.
0: And can you talk a little bit about after the process too? Because uh, I know there's a lot that goes into it, but then. You mentioned kind of two 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 sides obviously that this person has been freed where we're, there's that component and there's also the kind of the justice being delivered to the perpetrator as well um right how does that process uh, this this is all super intriguing to me and i i don't know if, if everyone thinks thinks about all these processes in it but it's really interesting of how kind of that is brought full circle um from beginning to kind of that 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 uh, i wouldn't say end but to this kind of this later stage
1: Yeah. So the process, you know, looks like, you know, our team goes undercover based on law enforcement's request or or we're identifying children, we bring that to police, we mobilize the team, we rescue the child Mm -hmm. or children, we we arrest the trafficker. And at that moment there's we enter into this post rescue phase where that criminal he goes to jail and awaits trial. The the children go to a safe home. Uh, Typically, it's through the Department of Social Welfare. Um, It's Mm -hmm. an Mm aftercare-style facility, government or private. There's kind of a fork in the road there. The majority of victims around the world go into government shelter. Um, And the reason for that is they have a lot of information about corrupt law enforcement officers. And governments don't want to be embarrassed, and so they almost never place children in private care. Sometimes in India they do faster than in other parts of the world. But they're trying to put a lid on what's happening in their culture. Right. So, um, once those children are in aftercare, they enter into a process. For the Exodus Road, we yeah. partner with aftercare shelters that do a uh, psyche eval, medical eval, right. trade skill development, those types of things. Mm-hmm. But really, they're also preparing for court. Yeah. Ideally, they take the stand and testify against their perpetrator. It only ha- it happens less than one percent of the time. Because most parts of the world don't have victim witness protection. Uh, We're so privileged here in the U.S. to have that. Most of these children receive threats while they're in care. Their families are threatened if they testify. Wow. Wow. Um, But I'm happy to say after about one or two years of uh, being in prison, waiting trial dates, uh, we have a pretty successful arrest record. Um, We've put... Folks in jail, minimum sentence normally is about nine years per count. Yeah. Um, uh, Earlier this year, collectively, we did 400 years in prison for a, a couple of uh, traffickers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's really the goal. And then these girls enter into a repatriation, reintegration process where we're trying to figure out, uh, in partnership with the Department of Social Welfare, if home is a safe place to go. Sure. But ultimately, we want to help them get jobs. Uh, so the Exodus Road, the way we support that outside of the Department of Social Welfare is we have a program called Beyond Rescue, and um, it is a, a safe house. It's undisclosed location for girls 18 and over who were trafficked when they were younger, but once they hit 18 in that threshold, there's no services for them, and so we give them a, a place to live. We train them, love on them, uh, let them be a part of the community, and help them find employment, and that's really such a critical part of their success successful future. Totally. Yeah. Um but we want them to find healing mind body uh, spirit, you know, just
0: Yeah.
1: So we, we provide counseling, we're we're providing uh, services like that for girls mm. 18 and over. Yeah. And we, then we partner with private aftercare shelters. So that's kind of the process yeah. is yeah. you know, from victim identification to true freedom. Right. There's there's about 8 steps. But what we really want to see is that they're back home with mom and dad or they're in a yeah. safe environment with employment. That's really the end game there. Right, right. And we really want to see their trafficker behind them mm. So I think they need that.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and I, I mean, think about that. The reintegration, I'm sure there's been a lot of uh, – there's been so much damage done that that I know is a, a difficult part. Um, and, and thinking all the different elements of, you know, is this going to happen to me again? Or is, um, what are some of the wounds that I still, you know, I still bring from this? Um, and I'm sure there's just a lot of anxiety and fear in that. And, um, and working through that, um, I know must be really challenging for a lot of people who have, who have been in these situations. So I'm grateful that that's a, that's a big part of the the process too. And, um, can you just to kind of wrap up just a few things, would you mind sharing just like a, a story or, or maybe a moment that has been, um, That has been really significant and, you know, that has really kind of, I guess, um, provided, I guess, a lot of confidence in the work that you're doing, that there is, um, I guess, some hope in, you know, in the midst of these dark places. Obviously, there's plenty of examples, Mm -hmm. but there's, I don't know, one that sticks to mind um, of a story or a moment.
1: Yeah. um, So, you know, if you reel back to tape, probably five, six years ago now. Yeah. I was living living and operating in uh, Thailand with my family. Um, we, we'd started the extra, show, but we were still somewhat small and uh, I got a, we were at dinner. We were sitting outside having dinner at this restaurant in Thailand and I got a text message on my phone
0: yeah.
1: from a girl that was in our children's home when she was younger and uh, which is the reason we moved to Thailand and, and it, it said very blatantly, "Please help me, I've been trafficked. And, um, you know, it just shocked me to get that text. That, that's not normal for somebody to come out like that and say, I've been trafficked. Normally they right. they right. don't know what's happened to them. But this girl, her name was Noi. It's not her real name. That's her alias. But right. uh, Noi um, was 18 years old. She, like most 18-year-olds, was, had been looking for work in the southern part of Thailand. And a friend of hers, an acquaintance, they weren't like super tight friends, but they – they hung out a little bit. Had recruited her by uh, because a trafficker had threatened this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, recruited her to take a job in Bahrain, the kingdom of Bahrain.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So Noi was excited about that. She's like, "Man, get me out of Thailand!" You know, like all eighteen-year-olds, doesn't matter where they are, they want to be somewhere else. Yeah. So she got on this plane. She got into Bahrain, and immediately they took her passport, put her in the van with eight other Thai women. Uh, they drove them to a hotel, told them all that there's no job, that they were going to be forced to sleep with customers. Um, the the one mistake the trafficker really made is they they did not take these girls' cell phones. They locked them in this hotel room, and they had two mamasans or Thai handlers, female Thai handlers, who were monitoring them for a few days until they could farm them out to different brothels. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Kun- Kunoi, um, you know, came, hid in the bathroom and was texting yeah. me. And, and she said, Help me, I've been traveling. Please help me. I'm hiding in the bathroom. Yeah. They're going to find me any minute. And it was just this overwhelming feeling of responsibility I had in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I texted her right away and I said, uh, Kunoi, right away, drop a pen. I need to know where you are. And she dropped a pen. She sent it to me. And that's when I discovered she was in Bahrain. Well, Tyler, I was a 12-hour flight from Bahrain, 10 hours away.
0: Yeah.
1: And my heart just sank. But this is the what's so cool. Immediately, God just, boom, brought, brought to memory about eight months prior to me getting this text. I vaguely remembered this phone call with my country director here in the United States who said, Hey... This random thing happened and the state department was coming through town. They had a delegation from Bahrain interested in human trafficking and they just swung by our office and we exchanged business cards. We had a nice talk. Tyler, eight months ago, I didn't think anything of that, but it came, God brought it to memory immediately. Wow. wow. I woke up my country director. They got the, uh, the card. We made a phone call to Bahrain within an hour. We had a SWAT team on standby to rescue these girls. But there was a problem. The pin that she had sent me from her location wasn't super accurate. You know, it's like she was being held in a hotel yeah. in a block of hotels. There was like lots of hotels. So I asked her, hey, is, is the hotel name on the phone? Can you look out the window? Is there, you know, is there stationary with the hotel name? Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, I have no idea where I'm at. There's no name anywhere. They're watching me like a hawk. And the ball SWAT team said, Matt, look, we can't get a warrant for 10 hotels. We have to know exactly where she is. So I had to just ask her, hey, sweetie, I need you to be brave and take photos out of these windows. And about once an hour, I get photos coming to my phone out these hotel windows and I have, you know, Google Maps pulled up yeah. trying to figure out where she's at. And I'm dropping the Google guy to try to get street view and right. kind of triangulate right. where she's at. And it's just impossible because the Google guy hasn't driven through Bahrain. No. <laughs> <laughs> only thing, The yeah. only thing that I had was a few tourist photos that somebody had uploaded that was close to where she was. And, I, you know, she had taken this photo of this bay area. So I knew I was in the right area. But there was just so many hotels, and finally, you know, and, and again, guys, every hour that goes by, I've done this for a decade. I know what's happening. They're about to move her, take her phone, and I will never find her. Yeah. That, that is the reality on, the, on my mind yeah. and the reality. And so finally, she sends a photo out the back of the hotel, and I can see the name of a neighboring hotel. Um, and it was an Arabic name. Mm-hmm. I Google that, nothing. So I'm just praying. I'm sweating bullets. Holy bullets. I'm just sweating. And I'm online for hours and hours and hours. I can't sleep. The last tourist photo I found, I barely could make out through the palm fronds of a palm tree. The name of the the hotel that she took out the back of her window. And that was the the key. So I, I took all these photos. I sent them to law enforcement, a SWAT team in Bahrain. Right. I said, this is the hotel, I believe it's the top two floors, one of the floors on the top two. Yeah. They wrote me back, said Matt, this is enough, we're gonna go. And then I got on a plane to New York City from, from Bangkok. I had to be in the in the United States for a speaking event. Right. And you know, I guess I guess you know when when you when you love somebody and you know that their life and their freedom and their safety hang in the balance, it is it's how you would feel if somebody's, you know, been in a car accident. You're not sure if they're going to make it, you know, but you know they're in the ER. There's hope, but it's touch and go. That's what this yeah. felt like. And I remember getting on that plane in Bangkok, and I didn't have service in Tokyo or anywhere else. And so I land in New York, and I flip on my phone.
0: Right.
1: First text message: We rescued Noi and all the women with her. And what what I love about this case in particular is I wasn't even there. (laughs) In most cases, we have team members, investigators that are are there, present. This is something we were able to coordinate by God's grace uh, transnationally, across borders. And what did it take? Well, it took a big God, and it took somebody like me with only five loaves, two fish, just offering it, just showing up. I'll make the phone call. I'll call the Bahrain police. I will, I will coordinate with the U.S. Embassy or Bahrain Embassy, Thai Embassy. And we did. We, we coordinated four major government agents' offices all to just come to bear on the freedom of eight girls nine-hour flight away, ten-hour flight away. And I just have to believe God loves these girls and boys more than I ever could. And even though it seems impossible— nothing is impossible with the lord hmm. um so that story motivates me on a couple of levels number right. one the, these sweet girls are, are being duped or being deceived and then when they get in trouble they have almost no one to ask for help they don't know how to to get help how would she get home and i think that's why the trafficker didn't take their phones they assumed there's no way these girls these poor girls have any capacity to mobilize a force against us. But God had other plans that day.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And I, I love the, 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 the beginning of this story of how, you know, it started eight months before that moment that, you know, you had no idea of how God was using that for, for to, for this to happen eight months later, or for that to be significant eight months later, that information. And so really, uh, yeah, it takes a big God. That That's amazing. Um, Wow. And so, hey, just to just to wrap up, I know I'm sure a lot of folks are interested in learning more. I think I, I I don't know if this is true or not. I think people are coming to a little bit more of an awareness, at least in the United States, kind of, of how this is um, this is such a global um, issue and, and just uh, really at the forefront of, of, um, of what we need to be thinking about right now. But um, how can we, I guess, learn a little bit more and, and also get involved in, um, in what you all are doing? And um, again, just to kind of plug in.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I always like, I mean, I guess everybody does this. I like pointing people to our website, the Sure.
0: Uh,
1: because from that site, we have lots of training tools. You can go there and be trained on what to, how to spot human trafficking, what to do. Who do I call? Mm. If I see a girl that looks like she's been trapped or a boy or there's a forced labor, you know, what do I do? So you can go to our website to seek out, uh, education there. Mm-hmm. Uh we have our core program is called search and rescue that's what we call our investigation force the search and rescue team we cannot do what we do without donations we're a nonprofit. we have to raise money to go rescue these kids uh the majority of our all of our stateside investigators are volunteers Uh, we make every dollar go far but if you would love to fuel rescue please do that with us you can do that any amount single gift monthly gift you can do that on our website too Mm -hmm. Um, The Mm -hmm. the last thing i like to share with folks is every rescue mission we conduct, we send out a text alert with the story. Um, And it's a great way for guys listening to be reminded to pray for us, to pray for these survivors all around the world. Mm -hmm. And that's super easy. You You just text the letters ER, which stands for Exodus Road, to 51555, and you get little text updates, and you can read. You know, the stories from India, you know, United States, uh, Thailand, uh, Latin America, these places we rescuing these kids. Yeah. Um, so those are just three really specific things I would ask everybody to think about. Go to our website, learn how to spot trafficking. Go to our website, support rescue operations, or uh, text ER to 51555 so you can celebrate with us yeah. as we bring freedom into the world.
0: Well, Matt, thank you, and um, it, it's been a real, it's been a real joy and pleasure having you on and hearing more about um, the the backstory behind this, um, but then also what's what's going on right now in the world and how we can be part of it. So, um, despite how much kind of darkness there is, there's also a lot of light, and so I'm happy for, uh, I'm excited, I think, for uh, what's being done right now and and how you're uh, participating and just contributing in this.
1: Thank you, thank Tyler. You so I appreciate it.